sacred page, I seek thee, Lord, my spirit pants for thee, O living word. Break thou the truth, dear Lord, to As thou didst break the blood by Galilee, then shall all bondage cease, all fetters fall, and I shall find my peace by Right? Did you hear that? I said, Dale, we need to do this every week. We are blessed to have guys like Dale who can do that for us. And so that is truly a blessing. And we want to let these guys know that we do appreciate them when they're up here. Um, I want to take a moment to tell you something before we jump in because... Uh, we, we have, I had a couple people ask me, when are we going to start midweek services again? Um, we, we have something going on right now in the month of July on Thursday nights called Backyard Bible School. And this is our evening VBS from 6 to 8. There's some pictures of, of last week. Um, those are hard to see, but you can see them on the Facebook page, I think, a little better. Um, but I, I'm saying this because whether you have kids, grandkids, whatever, or if you just want to come, come bring you a chair, sit in the shade, watch these kids learn about Jesus. It is a great opportunity. Everybody's socially distant and, and appropriate and, and everything is good. Um, it is a great opportunity to fellowship with one another as the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, 6 to 8 on Thursday nights, this week is uh, yard games, and I think we're going to have a s'mores in the fire uh, back here. And so that is a great opportunity that I want you to, uh, to, to feel free to engage in. We're going to start with a word of prayer this morning, if you would bow with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you blessed us with, all you give us, and all that you are. Lord, as we have come to you this morning in worship, as we have come to you this morning and and communed at your table. Lord, we ask your presence among us. We ask you to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So every once in a while, I go rogue. What that means is I have a nice little sermon prepared and, and a slideshow and everything's great, and uh, I chuck that out the window at the last minute. That's what's happening right now. So, Brent, you get the rest of the time off. You can just shut that down. Um, and, and we're just going to talk for a little bit, so bear with me. I grew up in Jasper, Texas. Now, for some of y'all, that conjures up some, some heinous images. But a lot of you are too young to even have any recollection of what I'm talking about, and that's fine. That's actually a good thing. Um, but growing up, I, I didn't learn or realize until later that my upbringing in Jasper was a little bit unusual. Um, my dad was one of those guys that knew everybody in town. Everybody in Jasper County knew George Dunn. It was common. 
And, and dad was one of those guys. And, and we just grew up with that, you know. We also, my mom and dad both worked. And so when we were young, my brother and I stayed with a, a lady, uh, Miss Frazier, uh, in East Jasper. East Jasper is one of the African-American neighborhoods in Jasper. And uh, we, we stayed at her house. We played with her kids. My two best friends uh, were, were guys who lived in that neighborhood. We ran around those streets together. They called us the Oreo Trio uh, with double stuff. And, and we just ran around that neighborhood. It was just normal. It's what we did. We didn't know there was anything different about us. Um, the first time I heard a racial slur was when I went to kindergarten. And when I went to school, the other kids made fun of me because they said I talked like a filling the racial slur here. I didn't know what that word meant. I'd never heard it in my life. So I went home and I asked my dad, Dad, what does this word mean? Dad was kind of taken aback. Where'd you hear that? I told him, and he said that's a word that ignorant people use to ridicule other people based on their appearance. And I shouldn't use that word ever. Later, I remember the first time I heard that word at church. My dad was the deacon over the bus ministry. You remember the bus ministry? Y'all have one here. The bus ministry. We uh, had, a, had a fleet of, I think, four old school buses that were painted up, and we'd run those things all over town and, and bring kids to church. And my dad was the deacon over that. And, and I loved riding the bus with my dad because we would sing and we would get loud and we would have a great time. I was with all my friends. We'd get to church. We'd pull up in the back. We'd all pile out and go running down the halls to class. I didn't realize then that that made some people uncomfortable because I'm a kid. I don't know any better. Until one Wednesday night, we went running and I hung back for some reason. And I heard a lady very angrily cast uh, yelling at my dad telling him that it was all his fault for bringing these racial slur children here. Now I didn't understand why that was a big deal. I do know that night there was a lot of yelling in my mom and dad's room because dad said he wasn't ever going back to that and he used some words that I also wasn't supposed to say church. And, and But my dad loved my mom more than he loved being angry, and so he went back to church. I, I would hear that word again growing up over different times. I got in trouble sometimes. I get pulled over a lot because the, the officers in Jasper believed that there was no reason for a white boy to go down in those neighborhoods unless he was looking for drugs. Probably right. They had more experience with that than I did. But I was going down there to be with my friends, and as many times as I got pulled over, there was never any drugs in my truck. But I did get called a racial slur lover a lot, and, and that word followed me. I heard that word again last week when uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, a sister in Christ that I respect, not a member of this church, but uh, she's an African-American lady, and she was concerned because she had had some interactions with people on social media. And she said, Jeff, they don't realize it, but that's what they're saying to me. They're saying, know your place, racial slur. Go back and sit in the back of the bus. Now, I'm not saying she's right or she's wrong. I'm saying that's the feeling that she expressed 
to me. And, and so I started, that, that struck me. It, it bothered me. And, and I've wrestled with that a lot because I, I, if you've been around me very often, you know that I don't believe the pulpit is a place for politics. You won't hear me talk about politics if I can keep from it. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's all. And, and, and so I try to stay away from those kind of things because while other preachers may engage in that, I'm not judging them. That's not something I choose to do. But I felt like this is something that's been nagging at me. Well, then I, I heard somebody else telling me about a sermon that they had watched online, and another preacher was telling his congregation that, that if you heard your preacher use terms like social justice, that, that you should be wary because social justice is uh, communist or socialist or, or, or something and, and uh, anti-Christian. Well, at first I just laughed that off because I just thought, you know, this guy needs to get his theology from the gospel and less from Glenn Beck. But the more I thought about it, it started to bother me because I heard other people talking about this. And, and, and if you can read the Bible and not see social justice, then, then you need to check your heart. Because throughout Scripture, that's what God is all about. He's, when He talks about over and over and over the alien, the fatherless, and the widow throughout the Old Testament, He's talking about speaking for those who are oppressed, who cannot speak for themselves. And when Jesus begins His ministry, He quotes one of those passages from Isaiah. And He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And He goes on and He describes social justice. When John sends Him... Uh, uh, disciples and says, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we're supposed to expect? Jesus responds by describing social justice. And so if, if you read the Bible and don't see social justice, then I'm afraid you're missing Jesus because that's a, a lot of what that's about. So I, I want to take our politics out of this, though, because I know I'm walking through a minefield right now, and, and this is not about Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, okay? I'm not talking about any national organizations. I'm not talking about any uh, uh, affiliations. I'm not talking about joining any movements. I'm talking about our interpersonal relationships with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's all I'm talking about. Because I think that's where we have to start. Because I, I had another sister who talked to me, and, and she was upset because of the things that she was seeing. And, and she said, I believe that racism is wrong. But I also believe that looting and rioting and tearing down statues is wrong. And, and what's a Christian supposed to do? And so that led me to think that maybe we should talk about that. What is a Christian supposed to do? What, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to address the things that are going on in our world? I don't need to tell you that racism's wrong, right? I, I don't need to do that. I don't need to tell you that when God made man in his own image in Genesis, that when we then are, are, are oppressing someone on the basis of that image, that, that's a, an affront in the very face of God. And so I don't need to tell you that. That's pretty much common knowledge. I don't need to tell you that every person, regardless of race or, or gender or whatever, was worth the blood of Jesus and that Jesus died for everyone, regardless of what they looked like. I don't need to tell you that. 
I don't need to tell you how in, in Revelation 5 when they're asking who's worthy to open the scroll and, and they say the Lamb is worthy because you have bought for God with your blood people from every tribe and every nation and every people. I, I don't have to tell you all that stuff. I don't need to tell you that division in the church is wrong, regardless of whether it's for uh, doctrinal issues or whether it's by race. You know, the Bible says you forgive your brother 70 times 7. He says you mark a divisive brother twice. That tells me God thinks that's pretty important. So how do we address this? What do we do? Because I, I'm not talking about, again, national things here. So don't get me wrong. And I'm also not talking about anything that is anti-law enforcement. You're going to come away from this and say, Jeff is anti-law enforcement. That's not true. Because I believe that you can be anti-racism and be pro-law enforcement. Every law enforcement officer that I know will tell you that they're not racist. They're not doing things based on the color of skin. They're doing a job, a very difficult job. And we're in talks right now with the uh, Huntsville Police Department and with the Sheriff's Department because we're going to do a, a service here, blessing them, praying over them because of the difficulty of the job that they do. So don't hear me saying that we're anti-law enforcement. But how do we address the racism that's going on and, and the conversation that's happening in our world today? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things. First, I, I think as a Christian, the first thing we've got to do is shut up. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I have a brother or sister in Christ who tells me that they feel like their life doesn't matter, my first response is not to tell them that they don't get to feel that way. My first response is not to say to them, well, you're wrong. My first response should be to shut up and to listen. Regardless of whether I agree or disagree, we're not talking about arguments. We're talking about, I need to understand why this person, this sister, this brother of mine in Christ feels like they don't matter. And the only way I'm going to do that is to try to understand their experience. Now, most of us who grew up Caucasian in East Texas, it's hard for us to understand that. I understand it because of a, a little bit of... Uh, uh, affiliation because of situations that I've been in, but I still don't totally understand it. I, I, I sat down with an African-American preacher last week and said, I need to figure out, I need to figure out how to, this is bothering me. How do, I, how do I address this? Because I haven't grown up black in East Texas. I don't know what that's like, and it's arrogant of me to presume that I do. And so I had to shut up and listen to him. And so the first thing we have to do is to shut up and, and, and to listen and to ask questions and to learn why do you feel this way. Because we need to understand. We need to seek to understand one another. And so after we shut up, then we have to own up. See, there's not anybody that I know that would raise their hand and say, I'm a racist. But we all have a little bit of bias of some kind. We're fooling ourselves if we say we don't. We have a little bit of bias. Now, that's not sinful or wrong, so don't hear me saying it is. But we have to own up to that because we have to address 
that. We have to address that that bias exists and that, that there, is, there are times when, when we have to walk past that. Jesus would address racism in his society not through marching, not through making big sermons or political gestures. Jesus addressed it by being in relationship with people. In John 4, when, when the disciples and Jesus are going through Samaria, it's interesting because the Bible says in John 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through there. He wasn't forced to go through there. A Jew never went through Samaria because of racial prejudice. A Jew would go around Samaria. They'd go up in, in, in height and they'd climb over some mountains and then they'd come back down so they wouldn't have to go through this place because of racial, racial prejudice. And so the Bible says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He goes through Samaria, he sits down by that well, and the disciples go to get food. Now the disciples would have told you we're not racist because we went into their town. We're here in their country. We're buying food from them. We're not racist. But they wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't drink with them. In fact, when they come back and find Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, they're, they're, they're scared to ask what's going on. They don't, they don't know. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. But Jesus tells them the fields are widened to harvest because he is calling people from every nation, from every people. When Jesus is asked, who's my neighbor, he tells a story. He tells a story about someone helping someone who had been beaten, left by the side of the road. And he picks for his protagonist, he picks for his hero in that story, a Samaritan. He didn't do that on accident. He picked the person that was racially discriminated against to be his protagonist. Because that's how he's, react, that's how he's addressing the racism that is in his disciples. And, and part of understanding that, part of our response to that, is we have to own up to that bias. We have to own up and say, okay, maybe there is something there. Now, what do I do with that? Because I don't think the correct Christian response is to go uh, loot or riot or burn or tear things down. I don't think that's Christian either. So how do we respond to that? Well, I think the third thing we have to do after we shut up and after we own up is that we have to stand up. Now, hear me. I'm not saying we go and, and join any political affiliation. Don't hear me saying, Jeff said, go join Black Lives Matter. That is not what I said. I said, when we have brothers and sisters that we are in relationship with, that we share seats with in a church building, that, that we love, we have to seek to understand them, and then when we understand, we have to stand with them in saying, this is not right. Because racism is not going to be changed by a political party. Racism is not going to be changed by a political movement. Racism is going to be changed by the Spirit of God changing hearts in people. That's the only hope that this country has. That's the only hope that we have. That's what we're preaching. That's what we're teaching. I spent last week with my nephews we in, on vacation. You know, we were supposed to be on a cruise. You know how that works out. Um, I don't know, Rex, I don't know if we'll ever get to go on cruises again. But it, it, Sorry, Rex, my, one of my cruising buddies. Um, at any rate, I, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing. 
we, we, we went to Florida to hang out with, with my sister-in-law because that's the closest we can get to a vacation nowadays. And, and I was there. My, my three nephews in Florida are black. And as I was sitting there watching our kids play together, the first thing that struck me is that racism is learned. Those kids don't know anything about that. They, they don't know that they know there's differences. They'll tell you there's differences. But they don't know that there's a reason to hate one another. The second thing, though, that struck me is that those boys are someday going to be the same profile as George Floyd. Those boys are going to look like Ahmaud Arbery. And that terrifies me. And I want to do everything I can in my power to change the world. And so I, I spend a lot of time praying, God, how do I do that? How do I make this a better place for them? And it's not through political affiliation. It's not through uh, any kind of government. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit. And it's through calling people to repentance in the name of Jesus. That's how we're going to make a difference. That's how we're going to make our country better. That's how we're going to make our, our, our racism and, and the things that we're dealing with right now in our society go away. I can't change hearts. You can't change hearts. And neither can anybody in Washington. The only way that hearts get changed is when they come into contact with Jesus. The only way that hearts get changed is when people confess His name and repent and are buried in baptism and the Spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead comes to live inside of them and give life to these mortal bodies. That's how we're going to change the world. We're going to shut up and listen. We're going to own up and admit that there are biases that we have to address and then we're going to stand up with our brothers and sisters and, and we're going to call people to Christ. Not to a political movement, not to any kind of uh, anything like that. We're going to call people to Christ. This morning, that's the call. And, and I don't know if you're subject to the invitation this morning in this room, but, but we're calling you to Christ. If you're watching this online and, and you're convicted right now, you're hearing that, pierce your heart. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. And you need to respond to that. You contact us. Contact this church building. Call the office. Email. Uh, there's, there's links on the website. Whatever, whatever we can do, we will reach out. We will help you come to Jesus. We will help you find Him through repentance, through baptism, being raised to walk in newness of life. That's the call this morning. That's what we're offering. That's what we're holding out to a world in turmoil. Blood of Jesus. Because when God looks at us through those lenses, the only color he sees is red. If we can help you this morning, won't you come right now while together we